to be here. I found finally uh, glad that we made it together. I know, right? This totally, yeah. So, for those of you who don't know Ike, Ike, why don't you just give us a little background, um, little taste of you know Ike sandwiches. All right. Well, well, first of all, I'd like to say my main occupation is I'm an international sex symbol. I stole that from a mentor by John D. Martini, and I'm picking up the torch right now. Um, but what I do for most of my money, like 90% of it, is I own a pretty sizable chain, I guess, now. It's at 71 locations, uh, sandwich shops, uh, basically, where we do about 800 plus different combinations of hot sandwiches. We tie in with local nuances there we do local specific sandwiches but also with a lot of celebrities been on a lot of tv shows food network travel channel uh, 36 plus shows uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of articles we won best sandwiches in the world uh, multiple times best vegan sandwiches best gluten-free sandwiches best sandwiches with meat in them it doesn't matter uh, what it is we're like the michael jordan or pick your favorite superstar of their genre but of sandwiches just busting and working hard on making the sandwich game tight. I love it. So that's a good place to start from. So my question is, Ike, uh, can we reverse back to shop number one? How did you get involved in shop number one? Uh, so actually, the the funny part is, is the, the shop number one, uh, now that I'm at 71, shop number one was actually probably the easiest to set up ironically, but the hardest to execute. The others later on in the future would become um, harder to execute due to like laws and, and things like that. Because uh, as I tell the story, you'll see the first store actually didn't even realize that there was a thing of uh, such thing as permits and permissions needed. So I just opened the shop without literally asking anybody. I just like, I want to open up a sandwich shop. We live in America. I'm just going to go do it. And then I did it. And then later on, I found I didn't ask for all these people's permissions to do it. Uh, but then it also becomes way easier later because all you got to do is just do what you did the first time, but a second time, a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time. Uh, so there I was, what was I doing? My first paycheck was from Victoria's Secret, which was the greatest job, the greatest paycheck I've ever received. Wait, wait you, you worked at Victoria's Secret? I was working there and selling a lot of bras and a lot of panties and having a lot of fun. Though I realized that the work that I was putting in, um, the fun and the the work uh, with the compensation wasn't really there. And I and I later on would find out. Well, of course, the compensation comes as a lagging indicator. You do all the work, and then later somebody notices you, and then you get paid for all the work that you used to do or that you did in the past. Uh, but for me, being young, not into personal development at all. Other than I would get a lot of dates at Victoria's Secret, I was like, I'm doing a lot of work, but not getting a lot of. I got. I got to ask you: Did you were you like a uh, reference point to see if the uh, the lingerie and the bras look good for the women? I so many times got asked to go to the fitting room and check out this outfit on a woman and make sure that it was sexy enough for her future date. Or I don't even know. I got invited to some of the lingerie parties. It was ridiculous, and, and a small, like, there's a small part of me that that is strongly considering. I used to go get a part-time job back at Victoria's Secret for the weekends just for the dating lifestyle. And uh, Also, if you're looking to understand women, I worked with like 350 different women there and just noticing that the differences between the yin and the yang or the masculine and the feminine, <laughs> however you want to uh, put it together in a category, it definitely helped take my level um, up from just human interactions, but also from a, uh, a me being a man liking women kind of nuanced yeah, totally. but uh, I was just there selling bras and panties and letting them know what I thought looked good and of course men shop there too for their themselves or for their ladies and would just be there to be like oh make them comfortable too you know, I was the guy that worked there and I started a, a little trend once people saw me working there then other guys started working too. the same shop that other shops too Awesome. And so I was busy doing that, right? I was telling about how I started. And I saw that I could do this enthusiastic, like have fun at my work, but then have all the upside too of say being in business for myself. I thought, well, if I if Victoria's Secret was Victoria's Secret, then I'd be making a lot more money 
Uh, and so I made a list specifically of what I love to do, um, things that I would do for free. Mm-hmm. Because back when I was a kid, like 19, 20, 21, right out of college, when I got, got kicked out of college, I immediately wanted a business for myself. I know I knew that, that oftentimes there's a, the work to pay ratio was um, a lot of work, low pay. But for me, I figured I could do that if it was with you know for my own interest, for my own upside with a, with all the stuff that might come. So why I made well, the reason why I made the list was um, under the the scope of somewhere uh, some things and some th- a lot of things that I would do free, knowing that it might take me two years to get paid. And so on that list was. Well, going on dates. So I was like, okay, cool. I'll go on dates for free. Uh, what else? Oh, snuggling baby animals. So I put like snuggling animals on the list. I put uh, eating. Yeah, I love to eat. I would eat for free. Uh, feeding people. Oh, I really enjoy feeding people, talking to people. And I, I made this list uh, close to 40 things. It might have been like 37 things. And I started looking through the list and going, how could I um, do, what could I do here that I actually would do? And then, but for money. And so I looked at uh, the first thing I tried because the first thing I wrote was going on dates. So I was like, okay, I'm going to, the internet was new-ish as far as uh, people using it to enter like social media and stuff like that was new-ish. There was still like Friendster back then. If you remember that, MySpace was, was a big thing, like writing to emerge there. And so I, I decided, okay, I'm going to go on a lot of dates from internet um, websites. Like OkCupid was the one that I used. And I don't know if they still exist. But I was using OkCupid okay in my book. Uh, I was going to write a book on how to meet women online, but to get them to pay for the first date. Because I was thinking, how can I have my angle? So my first foray into what would I do for free and into a career was that. And I was going to go on a date with 100 women where they would pay for the first date and then track how I did that. So I got up to about 97 women before I was like, yeah, I don't know. Now I've got to sell the book, and I started having these not not doubts about the doing it because I still love going on dates with women, especially if they're going to pay for the first date. But how is it going to actually turn that into cash, which was the ultimate goal? And I really wanted to leave my job. And at that time, I was selling real estate. And by selling real estate, because it was like 2006 and 2007, I meant I was doing a lot of legwork, but not actually closing deals because mm-hmm. banks weren't lending. And then, so the whole idea of, well, I could just do the sandwich shop thing, um, or I, I wanted to do a cafe, like a little sit down, come get breakfast, get a coffee, come for lunch, then get dessert. And that idea started getting real traction because as I was selling real estate, because the economy was like that, and I couldn't close any deals, I started doing uh, leasing, hmm. and commercial leasing and, and residential leasing. And it came across a location in the Castro in San Francisco, like two blocks from where I'm sitting right now. And I took a client there to look at the location because uh, she was looking to do a coffee shop slash cafe or whatever. And she ended up not wanting it. I had such a great experience being in that space that I couldn't get it out of my mind. And so after visiting that space, I decided that it felt too good being in that space and thinking about opening up a restaurant, which checked out um, feeding people, eating, making people happy, talking to people on my list of things I would do for free. I was like, oh, and all the dates I get from this online, I could take them to my place. Mm-hmm. All these things that checked out so many that I just started moving towards the direction of that job or that creation of a career and opened up bikes, like just did a checklist of what I felt like needed to be done for a restaurant from my personal opinion and checked them all off and then opened. Amazing. So can you walk us through like how long from the first opening till there's like, oh, there's ice number two now? So for, for me, uh, like I said, it was, e- it was easier as I went along. I never, I never had a doubt once the first one opened that I could open up a second one. The only, I guess, cause for uh, trepidation would be, have been uh, it, would there, is, is there enough risk to risk a second location? Because I didn't, I had to borrow money for the first location from my mother, and then I borrowed money for the second location, or I wouldn't have needed to from my, my girlfriend at the time, her mother. So it would have been two loans out, right, for two, two months. But the first one was doing 
amazing business. Uh, so then it was, did I want to risk another loan? If it was my money, for sure, I probably would have done it, no doubt. But because I hadn't gotten to the point where I saved enough, between the first Ikes and the second Ikes was a little over a year. So I wasn't able to save up enough to, say, be free and clear. But by the third location, the third location, I opened straight up cash. So, so from you, that point on, it was easy. Did you take uh, a loan from the girlfriend's mom for the second one? I did. And as a, um, she didn't charge me interest, but the interest charge was to let her open up a location in, and be a partner with me in Santa Rosa, which is about an hour north of San Francisco towards wine country. And at the time, I was like, Santa Rosa, I don't really want to do that. You know, no offense um, to Santa Rosa. But it was like an hour away. I lived in the mm -hmm. city and grew up in the city my whole life. To go out to Santa Rosa seemed to me like a, a non glamorous. Now, ironically, it's been open eight years and it's literally the busiest ice we have. So, because of uh, this, me, me taking a loan and owing it to her to open one up in Santa Rosa with her as a partner, that now we have like literally the busiest ice. So I want to talk about that, the first from one to two and taking that leap. What type of decision process did you have to go through? Was there some like unknowns of like, oh shit, like I'm taking a big, you know, another financial opportunity here at the same time. But so like kind of walk me through that, that process there. As a, you know, for the owner, business owners who could be listening and are in a similar situation. Well, uh, so if specifically on how one applies to two, and then I'll yeah. tell you my personal experience. So, because my personal experience may be different than somebody else's, and the reasoning that I use that might not be as helpful. Right. Uh, for me, it's literally okay. So I opened up one location, and I talked to a lot of restaurateurs, um, or even just other business people about having one location going to two. And it's as simple as you opened one, so just do the same thing you did to open the one to open the second one. There's no difference other than now you have a side job, which is your other business. And so for you, if you are courageous enough to take the steps for the first one in the first place, even if you might not feel like you're courageous, even if it's it, it, like it's you have a heart attack or you're stressed out or whatever it is at this first location, just the fact that you did it means that you could do it a second time. And if you could just put aside the need for perfection, because that was my big thing in the beginning was, okay, and mine's named after me, right? So I used to think back if somebody would come into Ike's and then have a bad experience, that means I was bad. I just associated myself with it. Or if someone came in and had a good experience, then I was good. Instead of it's the business and it's the business. And I didn't really separate it. And even now, the separation's kind of uh, iffy and, and vague. Um, now my face is on the business where, where right. it was. So for me, I had to get away from, okay, can my coworkers, employees, friends, managers, can they, do I trust them enough to do a job? And often uh, I've experienced with people is that they feel like if they want something done, right, they got to do it themselves. Uh, especially people that, uh, I, the people that I've been talking to just specifically with, uh, that want me to mentor them. And so I don't know if it's everybody or if it's just, say, me and them. Though, what I would think that is a helpful exercise to do is, okay, so whatever business you have, mm -hmm. if you're self-employed, pretend, uh, do this visualization exercise. Where, so pretend you are an employee of yourself. So there you are. In your, now you observe yourself at work, at your own job, if it's your own business, or if you're working for someone else, for someone else. If you were your own supervisor, say that you were able to clone the two of you, and there was one that was the boss and the one that was the employee, how often would you be observing yourself and thinking that you yourself weren't doing 100% or you yourself were slacking or taking it easy, right? And for me, I when I did that visualization on myself, I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. Like I slack here, I slack here, I slack here. And I even know more of where I'm slacking because I'm inside myself and I know when I and I started thinking, well, actually, you know, maybe if I want something done right, it's not do it yourself. Because if I was waiting for myself to do payroll, it would come out routinely a day late, sometimes mm -hmm. two days late. So if I, oh, does that mean I should do it myself or, or delegate that out to someone else? 
And so the moment that I made the realization that actually even me, myself, observing myself does a B plus to A minus work, and maybe mostly B plus and A minus when I'm like in my zone, zone, and very rarely an A, like from my own perceptions of myself, and allow me to allow my employees to also be accepting of their B plus um, work, in my opinion, and knowing that I would be doing the same. And so from there, I just, okay, let them do their thing at my first business. And, and then I personally went in and opened the second one where I was the manager of the second location. And then I just did the same thing again. I was the manager of the second location, trained up the staff underneath me, trained up the manager, boom, now they're the manager. And then the third one, because between the first and the third was less than two years. Oh, wow. The third was less than two years at three locations in three years. Um, the first one was open for a year, opened the second one, and then within a year opened the third one. But by doing, by allowing people to do B plus work, B plus, no offense to anybody mm-hmm. that you guys would be amazing. Uh, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be able to have seven one locations. Yeah, we're going to play this on all the Ikes uh, across the, all 71 of them in the, in the, in the sandwich shop. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so, you know, and you guys kind of know what the gist of what I'm saying is, is there's no perfect you. There's no perfect business. Uh, you judge the heck out of yourself no matter what. Um, even if you, you know, even billionaires and people like one of my mentors has 2,600 restaurants. He thinks he's not doing a good job in many, many um, areas of his life having conversations. So it doesn't matter where you're going to get to, you're still going to think that you're a B plus version of where you could be, should be, will be one day. And just take that philosophy and just do it in your business. Okay, here I am. B plus is going to be great. Hopefully we get A minuses because I like A's. And then go to the second one and go to the third one, go to the fourth one. But you did one. That's the hardest part is to take the step from zero to one because the difference is literally infinity. Yeah. And then... Do two, three, four, five. That's all just going to be risk tolerance and what you say in your head and and all that stuff. So, so what I'm hearing is take the leap of the next financial cost. It's going to cost you to be able to surround yourself with the people who could fill in the little gaps to help bring you to those next levels of business. Yeah, for me, the first Ike's, I immediately delegated all the stuff that I didn't like to do. And not because I like had a mentor that told me to do that, although yeah. later on I find mentors that would tell me to do that, but mainly just from my own observations. What I wanted to do, if I looked at my list of the things that I love to do for free, uh, feed people, make people happy, eat, uh, none of that. I didn't write payroll on that list. I didn't write uh, you know, factoring in food costs on that list. I didn't write marketing on that list. No. So, And I saw that just in my results. If I was relying on myself to do everything, that the areas that I didn't like, I put off for the last moment. I could always be there to make a sandwich for somebody and look at them face to face and help them go through the menu. Always, I always had energy for that. Always had time for that. And then at the end of the day, when the day is done, oh man, I'm going to do payroll. So I immediately delegated out payroll. I immediately delegated out like mopping and sweeping and because I used to do all that. Sweep, mop, slice the lettuce, slice the meat, slice the cheese. I delegated all that, and all that cost me money. That was literally money out of my pocket, especially in the beginning of a starting business. Though what I saw is as time went on, I had more energy to make people happy, make new sandwiches, talk to people, uh, pass out sandwiches, and be there because my, now my focus was only on uh, these aspects of the business that I love to do. Let somebody else chop lettuce and, and slice tomatoes and do the payroll, and then all that other stuff, pay bills. That was another thing that I don't like, didn't like to do, and I still don't like to do. Let somebody else pay the bills. Somebody else, um, you know, just bring me the check to sign it on it. But you write them all out and you mail them all out. That's the, was literally the last things that I would do on my list. But from a business, if you don't pay your employees, and that's the last thing that I would do is is payroll. They're going to get upset eventually. Same with the vendors. If one of the last things I like to do is go through the invoices and write checks. Eventually, they're going to get upset, right? And, and I want to do all those things. I want my vendors to feel loved and appreciated. Same with my staff. So I just delegated all that. And, and that extended the period of time where I was making less money, say, but where I would see that there's the vision. Uh, at one point, I mean, I would remember I, would, I didn't pay myself for two years 
almost straight, right? I just have uh, money to pay my rent at my, my apartment where I was living. But other than that, I wasn't paying, drawing a paycheck other than literally the bare minimum. I needed gas in my car, um, food in my stomach, which I would just eat at Ike's, and my rent. So I probably get about after rent and gas, maybe $100 spending money a month. Can you talk about how you stayed focused on your business going through that time? Because, I mean, just hearing that sounds could be quite challenging, uh, and especially just, you know, regardless of whatever career you have as an entrepreneur, going through a two-year span like that. Can you talk about what you did and how that was for you? Yeah, so that's why it's so key to make a list of things that you would do for free. Um, one of the things, so I have uh, ICE on campuses all over California and Arizona. And a lot of these uh, people with entrepreneurs or, or want to be entrepreneurs or they want, they're going to be entrepreneurs come to me with, like, I have this idea and I want to make money. And they're asking for, say, viability if it's going to be a career um, long term where they can sell their app or, or their idea or whatever it is. Yeah. And I, the thing is always the same is if you're going to give up when the money's not going to come in, then, then you really need to get it sold by ASAP. Otherwise, you're going to give up and you're not going to do whatever it takes. So for me, because of feeding people and making them happy and talking to people, interacting with customers and eating food, um, which helped in the menu growing, were all things that I would literally do for free. Like when I was working at Victoria's Secret and giving great customer service or other places in the past doing real estate and giving great customer service, I wasn't expected to be paid for the, serve, the customer, like being nicer or better than other people. I was expecting to be paid based on, on the result that I produced. And so the same thing with, with ICE is it was easy for me to show up to work every single day to feed people because I would literally do that for free. Now I was making $100 a month doing it, plus my rent and plus gas. So I was, for me, it was like, oh, well, I would do it for free. And it made sense. I, I also found that I always had energy to do it. Once I stopped slicing meat and stopped mopping the floor and cleaning the bathroom and writing payroll checks and um, writing vendor checks, once I stopped doing that, my energy was unlimited. I never had the, the thought, it took about maybe six months in, three months in for, for the in-store tasks and six months in for like the payroll and all that stuff to get that off of my plate. I didn't wake up going, oh, man, I got to go to work and do payroll today. I was like, oh, man, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to go to Ike's. I'm going to feed so many people and talk to people. And there's going to be some great new friends I'm going to meet, maybe some great date opportunities I'm going to find. And at a minimum, I know I'm going to eat great food and make people happy. For me, that I wake up every single day. I do that now. It doesn't seem like work today. I literally work seven days a week still. Though I'm only focusing on the parts of the job that I love to do. Mm -hmm. And so I can work seven days without a vacation because I don't need a vacation. In fact, when somebody mentions, oh, let's go, I'm doing an appearance in Hawaii next week for an Ike's opening. And they're like, oh, you should stay a couple extra days and enjoy the, I mean, I love the beach. Don't get me wrong, but I'll fit in my beach time in my off hours, like when Ike's is closed. I'll get my see my Hawaii time in between the like my my shifts of work, but I don't need to stay in Hawaii a couple extra days because I don't need the vacation. I want to get in there, do my work, enjoy a great time in Hawaii with some great people, and maybe drink some. What stuff. island are you gonna be on? And then I'm gonna be in Oahu, so Waikiki is where the Ikes is. I'll be in Oahu for about five days. I'm flying in, doing an event, doing an event, doing an event, flying out. So I, I literally, my only off days are the days I'm flying in and then the days I'm flying out. So what I'm hearing, and I, I want to clarify to make sure I'm congruent here with you, is that in that two-year challenge of where you had maybe 100 bucks left over each month is what really got you through was that you had a vision and your heart was in. It wasn't, it wasn't as less so the vision and more that I was in thoroughly enjoying what I was doing. I did heart envision was, heart was on the two locations. I did envision, and then I opened the second location. Yeah. I did see that this thing that I created will get to a billion dollar company. Like I thought we were going to become a billion dollar company about one year into the business, just from uh, the fun that I was having, the fun that I was generating, and the results that we were getting from uh, fan interaction. So for me, my company is already worth a billion dollars. If you want to get in, get in now while it's 
well, you could probably get in for less than a billion. But I had that from the beginning. So it wasn't necessarily like, oh, I'm doing this for a future payment. It yeah. was so if you said, hey, Ike, tomorrow you're going to wake up and you're going to go make a thousand people happy. They're going to love you, probably even fall in love with you. And then, and then in the middle of that, you could eat one of the best tasting sandwiches you'll ever taste. And then at the end of the day, you'll have all your expenses paid and you'll have a little, you'll have a hundred bucks left over. So if you want to go, go watch a movie or buy yourself a shirt or something, you could do that. Would I have done that eight years ago, 10 years ago, 12 years ago when I had nothing, 15 years ago, I, I would have taken that job all day. And so it's more of the fact that I was doing something that I loved. Yeah. And for people out there, if, if you're unwilling to, and again, you might have kids or a mortgage and all that other stuff, though, if you're not going to be willing to, to pay yourself zero uh, because you're having so much fun doing it, like, would you, do you charge your kids to hang out with you for those that love to do that? No, but you do that anyway, right? Because you love to do it. And I know some people don't love to do it and then they see yeah. their kids. Um, or either their wives or their spouses, their boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever, right? Right. So just look at what it is that you love to do. And if you're doing that and actually generating money from that, you do that all the time. Some people it's watching TV, some people it's playing video games, some people it's playing sports, some people it's hanging out with their guy friends or their girlfriends, right? And for me, it happened to be I love to feed people. And that's the, literally the only reason why I opened up a restaurant. So I love to feed people and I love to eat. And that combination made it easy to show up to work every single day. It makes it easy to show up to work even if been open 12 years. I guess I still show up to work seven days a week. I'll get in a, I'll fly in a, in a, in a plane in Phoenix, get to the airport, get in a rental car to drive to Stockton, California, which is like an hour and a half away, just so I can do a TV interview in the morning, a live TV, and I'd be there at 7 a.m., get like one and a half hours of sleep make myself pretty, go and do this event, say hi to fans, eat a sandwich, and drive all the way back to San Francisco, like another, in traffic, like two hours, just so I can do like a, a 10 minute on-camera interview, because I know that that's gonna help amplify my business, uh, get more people that don't know about it, and to get that message across. I wanted to let people know we do love and sandwiches, because we love people. And I would do that, and it didn't feel like work, people, like, oh, hey, you were just in Phoenix and now you're in Stockton and now you're in San Francisco. How do you do that? How do I not do that? It's like my life and I love to communicate my business and what we do and our vision to everyone. And I love to feed people. So it's not a job. It's it's like, I, I'm thinking, what, sandwiches? People paying me for this? Like, I should have done this since I was 10 or 12 or 15. Like, I should have just went straight from college to sandwiches. If, if I knew it was going to be this amazing, like, that's awesome. I love it. I love how the name of love is in it and love is what continues to develop it and grow it. So let's, you went from the first store is what year specifically was it built? It was uh, 2007. I opened on Halloween in 2007 and I didn't sell any sandwiches. I didn't give away, it was Halloween and we tried to give away candy. I was dressed up as Winnie the Pooh. I didn't give away a single piece of candy. <laughs> uh, kids were like, why is this grown ass man in a, Winnie the Pooh outfit trying to give me a lollipop. Like, I'm not supposed to take candy from strangers, right? So I didn't sell, not only did I not sell anything, not a bottle of water, not a soda, not a sandwich, but I literally didn't give a piece of candy away to kids on Halloween of all times. So it was, it, that was the day I opened, and we're approaching on 12 years. Uh, we'll be uh, a couple months away. That was the first one. The second one opened in 2009, in the beginning. So a little over a year. The second one opened, and then by the the next year, the third store opened. So when did it really start to? I mean, because now you have you're going on seventy one stores, right? Yeah. All right. So that's quite a bit of stores in the past of uh, what is that? Ten years, eleven, twelve years, twelve years, two thousand nineteen, twelve years. So when did it really start to just expand? So I think when I we met back in twenty fifteen, I think. And I want to recall that you had like 30 something stores. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. So let's see, 20, uh, so the big growth, so 2007, one store, 2009, yeah. two stores, 2010, three stores. Um, by the time we get to 2000, uh, 2012, January 1, 2012, I had four stores. 
by the time 2012 would close, I'd have 12 stores. So I tripled in 2012 from four to 12 stores. And then from there, um, that, that big growth uh, had me, okay, well, let's slow down a little bit. We opened one every what, like five weeks or six weeks mm-hmm. at that clip in all different cities. We opened a second one in San Francisco uh, at the university there. And I started looking at, okay, well, I, I really do, I have this idea to grow the business, but I also wanted to make sure the love was still present. Um, I, I specifically opened the stores, like allowed us to, quote, unleash the business, because we could have, from the beginning, I've had people wanting to franchise Ice. In fact, we could already be at multiple thousand locations had I taken that route, um, the franchising route in 2011. We'd already be at a thousand locations right now and all the other different logistical stuff that would come along with that. But for me, it's I wanted to do it where the love was the focus and not the money. Uh, and what, but what I saw in 2012 is I actually made the decision to unleash hikes for money purposes. I saw that um, perhaps maybe I was just um, thinking I wasn't uh, deserving of money. And so I wanted to prove to myself that I could actually, like, I don't want this to be my program of excuse of, oh, well, I needed to be perfect. I needed to be an A plus, like as we had the conversation, yeah. you know, five minutes ago, am I doing that now with my business, in my wallet, in my bank account? So I wanted to prove to myself that I did value myself because I, I truly believe if you want to know what you, what the world values you, you look at how much money you make, right? And I actually makes a whole bunch of money. But if I want to look at what I value me, I'm going to look at my bank account. And so when I looked at my bank account in 2012, imagine having four restaurants that do $10 million in sales, but my bank account was little over 10 grand, like 10,000, 500 bucks, 600 bucks. From 10 million to 10,000, 10 million, 10,000. Now, yeah, totally. 10 million bucks was gross and there's minus, 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 yeah. minus, minus. But even if I did a terrible job, there still should have been a million dollars left over in my bank account. But for some reason, it disappeared, dissipated, lawsuits, um, neighbors get kicked out of the first location. I told about the, I didn't do a permit. The first ice that caused a lot of issue, I had to pay $800,000 for that. And cool. so for me, I was coming from a space of, okay, do I really want to make money? Or do I just want to talk about success but not actually live it? And I want to prove to myself, okay, let's just open the store. So I just opened the stores, which uh, had a huge, um, uh, a lot of complications just from going from four to 12. Um, though what I noticed is that I did allow for the money to come in. And then from that base of, okay, now I have, I had enough money now. I didn't have to worry about what I not. I didn't have to worry about not feeling safe specifically. Yeah. And then that also unlocked a new space where I started getting into my work as a leader in the company. And that's when actually we changed the name in 2012, ironically. So I made all those decisions to open up stores for money. Literally, that the main driver was making money. And still, of course, we had all the visions. Mm-hmm. But right after that, 2013, I changed the name from it was called Ike's Place. I changed it to Ike's Love and Sandwiches. And so it was probably like the, to balance it out, right? There's the money and now there's the love. But it allowed me, ironically, the money coming in and me feeling safe allowed me to feel safe to express. Well, actually, we just want to care about people and make yeah. great food. Everything else is secondary. And if we love people, make great food, then money will come. And that's it. Pardon? I love that. And that's probably with everybody's job. You, you care about everybody that comes in or if your clients are online. If you just do that, and then have a good product, do that, have good food, do that, have a good, good service. Then even if you're, all you have to be is decent and above, if you take care of your people, they're going to want to do business with you. Decent and above. Like you don't have to be amazing. You don't have to be elite at it. You just need to be decent and above and take care of everybody. So take care of everybody, be decent or above, and you should be able to have a life that you love um, to do from a fun standpoint, but also specifically a financial standpoint, which is probably a lot of people that are listening to this or that. I mean, all the questions I usually get are on success and money. Yeah. Very few people ask about personal development and, and elevating themselves. Up. And my number one advice for people on that is you already have everything that you need. You just make your move before you're ready. You don't need any pointers. You don't need anything. 
if you do what you love and you so cliche, but if you just take care of people and have a decent product, like since the beginning of time, that's been the formula. So if you're not experiencing results in your life, then you need to ask, well, where am I not giving great, um, where am I not taking care of people? And be honest with yourself. Answer that. Yeah. Taking care of people and write it down. Also write down where you are taking care of people and amplify those. And then the next step is, well, where's your product decent or worse? Because if you're below decent, right? If your product is, is trash and you're giving great service, then you might not get the business. So you got to do a combo of both. I've seen people with great products, but they don't do this other side of taking care of people where they go out of business too. So don't focus less on your product, like make it service um, circle above, right? And but take care of your people, take care of your customers, take care of people that might be your customers, and you'll you'll move forward. So be honest with yourself and answer those questions for yourself, and then adjust and create from there. Oh well, my product actually sucks when it comes to whatever it is. Or you're right, I don't return emails promptly, or I don't text people back, or I don't return voicemails, or you know, whatever it is, or you know, I'm a jerk sometimes. Be just straight up with yourself. People just change that. You don't have to do anything magical other than than that. Can you talk about you, you I, at least to me it came a really good point, and I think the listeners were gonna will thoroughly enjoy it too. Um, you talked about, you know, make the investment before you're ready. Yes. You know, because now with you have, you know, you've built your, you've got a brand, you, you've got a brand that has a recipe to it and it works. So can you talk about that now that you're at a different um, height of awareness? We'll call it that a height. Okay. Um, and talk about that point of like the, the leap before you're ready. Can you just elaborate on that and dive in with your wisdom of what you hold with that, please? Totally. All right. So I'll use my, my very, very, very first Ike's as an example, because it's probably the best one that I have. So I made a list of what I thought I needed to do to get the store open. And then I conveniently or blanked out or ignorantly left out that I needed to get permits. Like getting permits on my list wasn't there. Um, calling the health department and making sure I'm okay with them was on the list because I had, had experience with them. But going through the, the things with, with uh, the first location, as it turns out, the reason why I got kicked out is in the neighborhood in the Castro in San Francisco at the time that I opened in 2007, they actually had a moratorium on new restaurants in the, in the neighborhood from before, uh, way before. Not, it passed. I don't know who was a hater back in the day, thought there's too many restaurants in the neighborhood, but we don't need restaurants. So they passed the moratorium. No new restaurants allowed, whether you're a chain or not a chain. But I didn't know about that. So I just opened a restaurant anyway. It took me three years later till when this when I finally applied for the permit, but only because the city itself pressured me, the neighborhood pressured me, oh, Ike, you got to get a permit, you got to get a permit. So then I go and find, I apply for the permit, and then that's when we all find out there's a moratorium. Or by we, I mean my, my company. Yes. Yeah. And so, and then the city goes, no, sorry, you can't, you can't put a restaurant there. You have to apply for this um, conditional use, but we're going to the board and it's going to take like another nine months. And so I was like, no, that's not acceptable. And they denied my application and then I just applied again. Like I wasn't going to wait. Now it turns out they wouldn't, not only would they not let me get the permit, but now they're going to kick me out of the location because there's a moratorium on new restaurants and I clearly violated the moratorium by opening up a restaurant, right? So I ended up closing. So I use it as an example because three years after I opened up the first Dykes, I ended up getting a permit. I get, ended up getting that law turned over and now um, there's no longer a moratorium for restaurants in Castro. So I was able to open up uh, across the street, which is where I ended up opening. But from when I opened, when I actually opened till that permit was in place was three years. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't for my influence in the neighborhood, that law may still be there right now. Now, when I checked off all the things on my list, if I had been like, okay, well, let me do what's next on the list, which was say apply for a permit or, or find all these, like, let me list of all the things that could go wrong, right? All, nowhere on any list, even if I was not an amateur back then, which I was, 
I would have never wrote, oh, have to fight to overturn a moratorium in a neighborhood because that's not probably likely not going to even be in anybody's scope of awareness, it, right? Anywhere, like this is America. Maybe even if we were not in America, it probably wouldn't be a scope of awareness. You have to overturn a moratorium from some law from way back in the day because somebody wanted no more restaurants in the neighborhood. And so if you're going out there and you're moving towards what you want and you think that, oh, you got to figure out like all the things that could go wrong. Believe me, the things that are going to go wrong are going to be nothing that you predicted. None of it. So for me, it was I opened the store and then I created and adjusted from there. I had an issue with I didn't sell anything on the first day. Who thinks they're going to open up a business and sell nothing on the first day? Maybe a lot of people, but that wasn't on my list. <laughs> if I wrote a hundred things like what could go wrong with business, never would I have ever wrote that I would sell nothing. And can't even give away candy for free. Yeah, maybe slow sales might be on there. Like how can I impact, increase my sales? But never would I have had nothing. So I opened the store, sold nothing. So I was like, okay, now I got to change my plan. So literally if I had a plan, the first day the plan would have been ripped up and we need a new plan because I didn't sell anything. So my plan then was I'm going to like dread, look as good as I can look as present because I look like a fool the day before in a Winnie the Pooh costume. Kids wouldn't take candy from me. So I'm going to look as professional as I can. And then instead of waiting in the store for people to come in, I'm going to stand outside the store and just say hi to everybody. And if somebody says hi back, offer to purchase them a sandwich. I'm going to buy you lunch. I'll make you a salad, a sandwich, a cup of coffee. Come on in. My thing I wrote was to feed people, right? I didn't write feed people and make money on my list of free things. Mm -hmm. Things that I would do for free. Yeah. So I, I thought to myself, well, if I would literally feed people for free, then let me feed people for free. And maybe the money will come. So the second day I stood outside and I convinced nine people to come in. And I said I would buy them lunch. But not a single one of them allowed me to buy them lunch. And, and as a result, some people just paid for 20 with a $20 bill. Like, oh, keep the change. And my sandwiches were only $7 back then. Some people gave me 10 bucks and said, keep the change. Some people paid exactly you know, the amount that it was, but not any of the people that I um, charmed or convinced or, or got on a level with them to come in allowed me to buy them a free sandwich. And, but like I said, that wouldn't have been on my, on my list of things to do. Turning over a moratorium and having to close my business three years in when the sales were $3 million a year, that's not going to be on anybody's business plan. Nobody's going to say, hey, we're going to have the most dynamic business in San Francisco, so dynamic that it's in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Food Network, all these things within one year talking about this business. Fox News wanted to do a story on, on me, so dynamic, but within three days you'll be closed because the city itself won't give you a permit. The stuff that's come up is not going to be things that you even think of. So if you go and you open your business and then just create and adjust and create and adjust, that's where the true um, Genius is going to come from you because yeah, who cares? Everybody knows. Just give great service and a decent and better product, right? Great service, decent and better product. That's your business plan. So just go do whatever it is that you love to do next. You don't need anything else. Maybe cash to get started, but you know, cash is like going to be the, the, the thing that you is going to be the catalyst, but it's not going to make or break your. So you business. can't let the, the cash stop you, is what you're saying. Right. I took out loans for my first two stores. Now I give loans to other people. So it was the first door. I want to do what I love to do. And yeah, it was a risk. But when Ike's was nothing, it was a risk. Borrow this money and worst case scenarios, I'm going to be paying off this $70,000 debt for 10 years or whatever, however long it takes me to pay it back. Uh, if it wasn't a hit, but I opened it and then it, in, in the first day, it wasn't a hit, right? Zero sales. Second day, I made, it took me three days of being open to sell 10 sandwiches. That wouldn't have been in my business plan, right? So at that point, it was looking really grim. Like, oh, wow, I've made less than $200 and I've been open three days. That's gross. Not mad. So that stuff wouldn't have been in any business plan. So it was grim in the beginning. And now then I had to create and adjust. Now my problem was, okay, I need to get people in. Now my, my thing was, how can I get people to know that I'm here? Because I thought that making great food would get people to come in. But clearly that wasn't true because I had, I literally had the best sandwiches in the world, according to many publications, but I couldn't sell anything on the first day. And I barely sold anything on the second day. And I barely sold anything on the third day. And in fact, this business didn't become cash 
uh, positive, the business itself can become cash positive until over a year into business. So it's not the it's not the things that you think you're gonna do. Your product might change the freaking world, mm -hmm. but how are you gonna get that to people? By taking care of them. So take care of the people and then having a product that's gonna change the whole world. I mean, Facebook was a stupid idea, MySpace, stupid idea. Um, all these things, Uber, stupid idea, right? Until people adopted these ideas. Right. By stupid idea, I meant if Facebook didn't exist and I said, hey, I'm going to put together this. When Mark Zuckerberg's in the beginning, I'm going to create this social network. People are like, you're an idiot, right? Or Twitter or whatever it is, almost any app on your phone. When I said I wanted to open up, even now, right? If you wanted to open up a restaurant or be an actor or write a book, your friends and family are going to tell you that's a stupid idea, right? You should think more realistic. You should use your degree. You should go to school. All these things, right? So it doesn't matter what it is. If your idea is actually any good, people are going to think that it's lame. And if you love to do it, they're going to even think it's more lame. Like you want to be an actor and that's your dream and you want to go to and, you know, live on the couches and do all these things and, and get, <laughs> get there. Like they're going to think that's the stupidest idea you've ever had in your life. And then you become Brad Pitt. That's probably Brad's story. It's probably a lot of actors. I, I was an actor for seven years. There you go. Right. And, and you probably had resistance the entire way. Right. Oh, totally. And you, even now, people come to me and like, oh, I, well, you should do your business. Like, even though I'm pretty sure that I judge myself more than other people, yeah. I still hear people's judgments on me often, even though technically my idea should be a good idea by now. Right. I love it. That's powerful. So for anyone listening, just rewind this from here, that whole back part, 20 minutes, and listen to that five times because I bet I'm going to go listen to it again because each time you hear it, you're going to hear something new and there's a ton of gold in that. So that is, thank you for elaborating on it and sharing it because I think to me, it's so powerful to, um, you know, people hit those blocks and those roadblocks of plateaus and they're like kind of that jaw dropping moment of like, like a de really defining moment in your life. And it's like, it's a big decision for people. And having your heart behind it, what we just heard is the number one most important thing. And, and I think if, if you're still having uh, those people that are out there still kind of, and it happens to me too, where I feel like uh, I'm not ready yet. And, I'm, and because I'm not ready, I'm not making my move. It still happens often. So with me creating a video or, or a new um, venture or a new store, the question to ask yourself is why specifically do you feel like you're not ready? Like you're never going to be ready. You're ever ready to be a parent. You're ever ready to be married. Are you ever ready to be in relationships? You're, you could be more or less ready. Right. You have to start a company. You could be more or less ready though. You'll never truly be ready. So ask yourself, because your answer for you is going to be way different than my answer for me. Why do you think you're not ready? Write that out. Like, think, why do I think I'm not ready to start my business? Why do I think I'm not ready to open up a second business if you have one already? Why do you think you're not ready to go and public speak if that's something that you want to do or um, have a, a blog or a podcast? Why do you think you're not ready? Answer that question for yourself and you'll get a lot of answers about you, what you think about yourself, what you don't think about yourself and adjust and create on that. Look at that. So for me, if I want to, because I want to start a new brand mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, well, well, why won't I? Oh, well, Ike's is just so great. Why not just put my money in the Ike's? Okay. Well, why am I afraid to, to take another leap? Of yeah. And a, a lot of it is like, oh, well, if I open a business and it doesn't work out, then, then I'm stupid or I don't know what I'm doing. And now, oh, look, I'm a fraud. Like I'm a one hit wonder kind of thing. And well, then I asked myself, okay, well, so say that was true. Say I opened up a business. Because I've opened up businesses before and they've closed. They've even been Ikes that have opened businesses and they've closed. The first Ikes doesn't exist anymore. The second Ikes doesn't exist anymore. The third Ikes doesn't exist anymore. The fourth Ikes doesn't exist anymore. The fifth Ikes doesn't exist. The first five Ikes don't exist anymore. And yet I still have 71 restaurants. And so I asked myself, well, let me just elaborate more on that. And there was a lot to do with me and how I feel like I'm perceived by society and by people and being judged. And so for me, when I started working on that, why was that important to me? Like, where am I being, uh, where am I making decisions based on how I'm going to be perceived? Mm -hmm. And focus on that. 
that allowed me to be like, oh, you know what? Who cares? I'm just going to start opening up businesses and people think that I'm a chain now. They can screw themselves. If people think like, oh, Ike's has fallen off and it's becoming bad now that it's not just a one, two, three store chain. Well, one, they're wrong. My sandwiches are great. I eat them every single day. But also like, who cares about their Clearly I was, right? So focus on why. So look at how come you're not willing to make the move because mm-hmm. you're never ready and then make your move anyway because you're going to have those judgments on yourself or whatever that those answers are for you anyway. Might as well be going towards what you want as well. And you'll really be able to realize, say you open a business and it's not going to work out, at least you'll, you'll see what the reasons why it didn't work out. And at least you'd be in the process of going towards that. And you won't have to think like, what if and what if. Um, in 2004, I had a business that I closed. I'd been in business. It was a supermarket in San Francisco. Actually, ironically, also on 16th Street, but coincidentally, on 16th Street, which is where the first Ike's was, but about eight blocks down. And it was doing great numbers in the beginning. And then it slowly but surely went out of business. Uh, and I had to sell my house at the time. and I had to sell my car at the time. Luckily, I didn't lose my house or lose my car, but I did have to sell them. And I ended up living in the back of the store. Um, the PG&E came, the power company turned off the power. So I was living in the back of the store uh, with no power. I put in a mattress there. So sleeping in the mattress, I had the cat. So I had the cat there. Luckily, it was a grocery store. And so I had cat food. So I was feeding my cat, like literally the food off the shelves. Um, it was my food, right? But still, like, I'm glad I had cat food. So I didn't have to worry about um, buying food for my cat. And then I was just eating what was on the shelves, Vienna sausages, canned chili, but there's no power, right? So I'm eating like cold chili out of a can, um, top ramen, but there's no hot water because there's no electricity. So you don't have to like find hot water or just eat it, um, like soak it overnight in water and then eat it the next day. And so from all, and I also learned a lot of ways not to do business. I had a business partner there that was very anti like the love and sandwiches, like whole theme. It was, he was more like, oh, people, he was just an overall um, mentor that I had. And I looked up to him because he was wealthy and he owned real estate and the businesses. And it was like the antithesis of everything that I, that I wanted to, that Ike's does now. And so when I went to go open up Ike's years later, so like three, four years later, after living in the back of his business without any power, I was like, okay, well, these things that I used to do didn't work. Like thinking I was better than everybody and thinking that it was my, it was their pleasure that I was serving them didn't work. It also felt bad too, but it clearly didn't work like results wise. And so I focused on the exact opposite. I learned what not to do. Don't put some on such a pedestal that I listen to all their words, even when I think that what they're saying is incorrect, but going, Oh, well, they're successful, so they know better than me. Mm-hmm. Uh, even now, like, just because I'm successful doesn't mean I know better than you. If something I'm saying doesn't vibe with what you believe, then ask yourself well, why you don't believe it. And if you still believe yourself over me, follow yourself. Like, I am not your guru. You're your own guru. The only person that ever has your answers is you. Um, mm-hmm. But so I had this person on pedestal, and so I just decided I'm going to do everything my way. Because at the end, like I was blaming him for what I went out of business back then. And so this new business, which is Ike's, if in the end it goes out of business, I won't have anybody to blame but me. I'll know all, I know basically all these things. And it ended up becoming great, but juxtaposed against all these things that I didn't do before. So moving forward, even if you don't succeed uh, in this business, you'll have a great foundation for the next time. And if you uh, have already had a business that didn't succeed, use that as a blueprint for like what not to do now. Like the whole assessment, go and look at why didn't it succeed, and then where were you incongruent with that, and where were you incongruent with that, and then change it for this next business. But you're never going to be ready until now. Like what's going to happen with ICE? So San Francisco ended up passing a law that if you're a chain, you can't open up new locations without uh without getting a permit now it's and now i'm a chain so if i want to open up in san francisco i have to go and do all these permits but that wouldn't have been anything on my list of of things to do right so now i know i got to get around that or i need to choose out of doing business in san francisco one of those two right follow the rules or or not do it right and none of that would have been there 
from the beginning. Just move forward and you'll find out all your problems as it happens, like in real time. And then you can make decisions from there based upon your values and some things you can choose out of. Like I'm currently not going to attempt to open stores in San Francisco because I don't like that issue um, unless I can get into the Warriors new stadium, which is going to be in San Francisco. But because that's a high on my values list of I get to um, my social leadership and influence kind of thing. Yeah. That, I don't need to open up another store in San Francisco um, under rules that I don't agree with. I dig it, man. I dig it. That's such good, such good wisdom you just shared right there. I love that. Um, that's some powerful stuff. Definitely rewind that part too. Um, what's a, so what's like a funny, what's one of the most interesting, funny things you've experienced along, you know, owning 72 stores and what's a, what's a, like a really fascinating, funny ass story uh, that's happened to you along the journey? Funny. Oh man. I probably have better, funnier stories from before. So I was thinking about this yesterday about how I can, how I've been able to transform the energy from my past to the present as far as um, bringing people in and uh, being a personality that people wanted to be a part of. Because I used to hang out with WWE wrestlers like back when I was 18 and 19. And I, it baffled my mind why that would happen now. But it happens today and I get to use it towards my business or, or NBA players, NFL players. Um, something that's like hilarious is... So we have these life-size cardboard cutouts. And that's you so probably see on media. I have these life-size cardboard cutouts and you put them in stores because I, I found that um, as I became the face of the franchise that uh, people would want to take photos of me, but I also can't be everywhere at once. And we do also get a lot of celebrities that come in or just fans that want to do crazy stuff with the cardboard cutout. So this allows them to take a picture with me uh, even if I'm not there. So I even delegated like personal appearances. Like I have a, uh, at, at locations, I have a cardboard cutout and I put one in all the stores. And then if you go there and I'm not there, you can take a picture with the cardboard cutout and post that on your social media, or we can take it with the with for you and we can post it or celebrities. So the funny thing is, is we were doing a cardboard cutout giveaway uh, because people like them so much. That's not really that funny. The funny part is, is the reason why we decided to do a cardboard cutout giveaway is because we've built, we've had about 27 cardboard cutouts made and how many we still have in our possession are um, 18. We've had nine of them stolen. Like people walk in and just snatch them. Some of them, uh, we have cameras like on the door, like people coming in and out. And we'll, yeah. we'll have foot, uh, footage of people walking out with a bag of sandwiches and then a cardboard cutout. Uh, and so, the other day, I went to Stockton, or the other day, yesterday, I went to Stockton to go do this interview and give away the cardboard cutout. And when I get there, they're like, I'm like, where's the cardboard cutout? They're like, oh, we thought you already gave it away. I'm like, what do you mean you thought I already gave it away? No, I came here to give it away. Well, it's not here. It's been gone for a while. We thought the person came in and just gave it away like to someone on social media because I'm on social media. So people, like even before I was able to give it away, somebody came in and in the store while we were open and just walked away with it. But that happens over and over again. I think that's hilarious. There's nine hundred cutouts of me somewhere in the world, somewhere. Hopefully they're doing very, very great, nice things with me. Yeah, um, yeah. One back, uh, it didn't have the head and it didn't have the, the left arm. It didn't have the right arm. So no right arm, no head. And Maybe they used it as like one of those things they could take photos with. Yeah, yeah. You could totally be in there and it left uh, at our doorstep like, couple days after it ended up getting missing. So, I mean, I think that's hilarious. But the most thing, the thing that I think is the most hilarious thing about Ike's is I freaking sell sandwiches and people are in love with me and the business and what we do. Like I'm selling sandwiches. It's, it's proof to like everybody out there. It literally doesn't matter what you're doing. It literally doesn't matter. If you love what you're doing and then you just go and be elite at it, you could run they you can create your own like energetic structure your own like people describe ikes as like a cult following and the thing is it's true like people are stealing fake me's that would have been hilarious like 15 years ago if i thought oh i'm gonna have a cardboard cut out of me yeah, yeah. People burn them and like you know stab them not hey i want to win your cardboard cutout 
we have people saying, oh, the one without the head, I'll take that one. Like, I want one so bad, I'll take the one without the head. There's one that got, um, it got damaged, we damaged it. Well, I think, actually, I'm the one that damaged it. That's I just thought, oh, I don't know what happened. But the face came off. So I posted a thing uh, with the face saying that I was um, in the new casting for Face Off Part 2. And somebody was like, I'll take the one without the face. Like, I want a cardboard cutout so bad that I'll take it even though it's like me from the mouth down. And that's freaking hilarious because it's sandwiches. Like, I'm selling sandwiches. It's, it sounds like your international sex symbol vision is coming true. Oh, I have much evidence in the last three <laughs> that it is not only coming true, that it is true. And so it's kind of like the next step for me personally with what I love to do. Like, I'm embracing it. Fine. You want Harvard cutouts of me? I'll just like start leaving them places. I'll start giving them away. It's ridiculous, though people want that. Uh, is it I created it? Is them creating it? Are we co-creating it? Who knows? But I will take it because I love. I will be an international sex symbol for free. You don't have to pay me nothing. <laughs> I will do that. <laughs> you get some people who definitely want to hang out with you with that, right? So what's what's next in the next on the adventure for you, Ike? What's what's in the works? Well, so continuing to do Ike's. The goal is to be at 100 locations by the end of the next year uh, in a couple of new states. And so, and so the new projects all between now and the end of 2020 will be Miami. We'll have a location there. Uh, where else? So Miami. Can you say Miami where? Miami. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm not familiar with the territory. Or okay. The but someone's itself. got it. But Miami, well, we, that's signed. We're going to work on that project now. Chicago, 99%. Utah, New Orleans. Uh, we, we have one in Hawaii. We're working on Guam right now. Um, and so that's just like the Ike's stuff. Oh, Michigan, uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan State, so Lansing, all that. And then we're working on uh, international. We're working on a Paris location. Uh, personally, what I've been doing is this is my fourth year, but I co-found an online university called the School of Wealth. I'm the main professor. So it's basically a year-long exploration to you, your relationship with your career and your relationship with the money, with money, and uh, just working on you and your relationship to those both of those things so you can get to where you want to get to from a, um, having fun in your career, like love and whatever your career is. You can have that nice tagline, but also from a financial standpoint because it, I totally get that I'm more um, free-ish because I'm not worried about my financial flexibility anymore. And it allows me to, to be even more uh, going, like I wouldn't ever said international sex symbol 12 years ago because I'd be afraid that people would get judge me for that and then they won't buy my sandwiches and then I'll be broke. Mm -hmm. uh, but now it's like, oh, well, that's who I am. And so let me embrace that. But it came through just doing journeys with myself and asking myself questions. So we've been doing that class for about four years. Um, hopefully we'll have a bunch more classes. I'm working on a four-year course about uh, being your own magic wand, kind of teaching you how to fish. Uh, one of my mentors a long time ago, uh, who's really magical in himself and creates so much for his life, I asked him, does people pay him money to, to see him and, and change their life? And I noticed that he would walk people through so that they would change their own life for themselves. And I asked him, uh, well, if somebody gives, comes and gives you specifically an amount of money for them to have whatever it is that they came to see you for, then, and you have this magic wand, why don't you just wave the magic wand and then they have it? And he said to me, somebody changed my whole life. It was about six years ago. He said, Ike, if I keep waving my magic wand and changing people's lives, then people will always need to keep coming back and seeing me whenever something new comes up that they didn't expect. And then I just have a long line of people that I'm just like, boom, boom, you know, boom. Mm -hmm. And what I want is for you to realize that you're, you are the magic wand and I just happen to be here and to make it, bringing you an alignment if you believed it, so then you get that result. And so I've been working on my own magic wand, like being my own magic wand, and, and then all of a sudden like people come to me for like advice and, and to help them. The whole time, my, my thing is, well, you, your own guru, as I said, nobody's going to have your answers but you. Even My answers for me won't work for you, maybe. If we're not, if we're not super similar, 
everything that I said today, if you followed it word for word, wouldn't work. But the parts that do work for you will help you work. So I've created this course on, on making it so that you actually believe that you yourself are your own guru, you're your own magic wand, and that you can create everything that you have. Uh, right now, tentatively, the course is a four-year-long course, um, mainly because I feel like maybe after four years, you'd actually believe that you're a magic wand. Yeah. But in the holographic universe, and, and ironically, you probably only need to do the first day of the whole course. And if you truly believe, you'd be able to go out and generate all the results you'd ever want. Um, so I'm working on that. That The first uh, branch of that course, the first time it'll all be presented for other people will be in September and then the speech will be live. It'll be a 12 person plus me thing. And then I'm scheduling three for between now and the end of the year, just for the first course and the first, first weekend of four years. And so I'm working on that, like on a personal level. And then international sex symbolness, like I want to, be in tabloids and have people go, oh, did you see, did you know, like I already got accused of breaking up Halsey and GEZ uh, and I didn't, but I'd love that kind of attention in the future. Like I'll take it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Dude, well, thank you so much for coming on today. It's a pleasure to be able to actually sit down with you and have a, uh, like a real proper chat and get to know you and your journey on a deeper level. I mean, I had no idea you lived in the back of a fucking grocery store. Uh, with no power, feeding your cat out of the food that you owned in the store, and you were eating, you know, canned cold chili, like, and then just to see where you are now, I mean, that's incredible. Well, thanks. Well, now you know. 